We're continuing on in our study of Judges this morning, but before we begin, let me ask a question. How many of you enjoy modern country music? We got a split crowd here. Awesome. Well, I stopped listening to country in about 2012. It had changed so drastically from what I was raised with and enjoyed in high school that uh, I kind of lost my taste for it. And when I turn the country music station on now, I'm kind of overwhelmed by how much it has changed since, you know, uh, Roger Miller and Don Williams and Johnny Cash and even, even George Strait, right? And it seems like all of the lyrics are about partying and getting the girl and playful but truly indecent behavior and a general celebration of a lack of responsibility. But of course, it also mentions still going to church on Sunday or saying a, a prayer every now and again. And as we've been discussing Samson over the last few weeks, I've been trying to figure out exactly how to characterize him. And the closest analogy I can come to is that he's the ancient Israel version of a modern country song guy. <laughs> Mulleted, booze swelling, trashy woman chasing, animal hunting, strongman prankster who thinks that the big man upstairs is blessing his every move. Maybe he didn't have a mullet, but... And, and certainly, as we've read, Samson is a hero of sorts, but he is a deeply flawed hero, as are almost all of the folks in the books, book of Judges. To paraphrase Spurgeon, the book of Judges in general, and Samson specifically, is included in the scriptures for our instruction and not our imitation. But still, in fact, most of the, uh, the people we have covered so far and the events we have covered so far are more of a warning of what not to do than an instruction of what to do. But still, God is working in the midst of all of this dysfunction and disorder. And praise God that he uses deeply flawed and sinful people to fulfill his purposes in this world. You and I would be without hope of participating in the Great Commission if that were not true. And country song Samson may be the pinnacle of all the flawed heroes, which presents a tremendous opportunity to put God's gracious and sovereign rule over the affairs of fallen humanity on display. And so through our passage today, though our passage today hardly mentions God at all, God's character and work is revealed beautifully in it. We're in chapter 16 of the book of Judges, and the main point of Judges 16 is this. God's perfect sovereignty is revealed through Samson's sinful life. God's perfect sovereignty is revealed through Samson's sinful life. And we'll see that illustrated in three ways. Number one, God's patience is demonstrated throughout Samson's escapades. Number two, God's precepts are confirmed in Samson's capture. And three, God's providence is revealed in Samson's death. But let's pray together before we get started. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by it your servants are warned. 
By it, we know who you are, your character and your sovereignty. Reveal to us by the power of your Holy Spirit the truth of your word this morning. Convict us. Convict us of the truth, Lord, that we may walk in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Because surely you are good to us. Surely your mercy is more wonderful than we can ever sing about. So we pray, Lord, that you do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, point number one, God's patience is demonstrated throughout Samson's escapades. God's patience is demonstrated throughout Samson's escapades. This chapter starts off with one of those traditional Sunday school stories where Samson makes off with the gates of Gaza. And here, here's how it was kind of presented to me in my childhood. God appoint, God's appointed tough guy Samson is surrounded by the dirty, rotten Philistines who hate him because of his God-given strength and overall good looks, right? And in a daring midnight maneuver, our hero rips the gates of the city out of the ground and escapes the Philistine clutches. And he goes and he places the, these gates up on this massive far-off hill as evidence of his amazingness. And in ripping off the gates of Gaza, he leaves the city of his enemy weakened and vulnerable to attack as a demonstration of his all-around awesomeness. But this morning, we have to set aside the flannel graph Samson and look at what would make most Sunday school teachers very uncomfortable to discuss with children. Read with me starting in verse 1 of chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza. <clears throat> the Philistines hate Samson, and they want to kill him. So why is Samson heading into the heart of enemy territory? Is he finally going to fulfill his role as the deliverer of Israel? Is he mounting an assault on the enemy headquarters? Like Gideon, is he finally going to embrace his God-ordained calling? Nope. The remainder of verse 1 presents a resounding no alongside Chris Randall. <laughs> it says, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and went to bed with her. He is not in Gaza for any godly or noble reasons. Samson has marched into the midst of his people's wicked oppressors because he was a man who was mastered by his sinful desires. He was given over to his lusts and his lusts had led him into the heart of darkness. You see, it seems Samson had a taste particularly for Philistine women. And initially, he had tried marriage, but as we heard a few weeks ago, that had not ended well. So now, he is just buying them, using them, uniting himself to the Philistines in whatever way he can. Samson had been set apart from birth to conquer the Philistines, and here he is, giving himself over to them. He had been given this great strength to pursue and defeat the Philistines, not to pursue and indulge himself with them. Here he is violating more of the law of God than I have time to recount, and it is likely not the first time. Clearly he was comfortable enough to walk into the city while the gates were open and find a prostitute. 
Clearly, the Philistine guards were at least used to seeing Samson enough that because they let him into the city. And it seems reasonable that he had a pattern of staying the whole night with prostitutes and leaving at dawn, behavior that the Gazites were familiar with when we look at verse 2. It says, When the Gazites heard that Samson was there, they surrounded the palace, waited in ambush for him all the night at the city gate. They kept quiet all night saying, Let's wait until dawn. Let's wait until dawn. When he comes out, then we will kill him. And isn't this frequently the case with our habits of sin? Not only is sin, our sin in defiance of our calling and our giftings as redeemed image bearers, our sin regularly takes us into foolish and dangerous places as we pursue it. Places where we find ourselves surrounded by our enemies, enemies intent on destroying our physical and mental health, our marriages, our children, our reputations. And we develop patterns and rituals out of it where we have been made more than conquerors in Christ and given the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in holiness, our habitual sin makes us vulnerable to the very enemy we were gifted and empowered to conquer. And yet, God is patient with sinful Samson patient with his sinful people, as demonstrated in verse 3. It says, but Samson stayed in bed only until midnight. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate with the two gateposts, pulled them out, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders, and he took them to the top of the mountain overlooking Hebron. Although God is not mentioned in this particular passage, we must remember Samson's great strength was never intrinsically his. It was bestowed upon him by God's spirit. And here God allows Samson to use his spirit-empowered giftedness to tear a hole in the wall of his own sinful stupidity and escape its consequences. This is after Samson has used his strength to kill a lion and then violate his vows by eating honey from its dead body. This is after he's used his strength to settle personal vendettas with the Philistine marriage guests and his father-in-law. This is after he has used his strength to tear people limb from limb after his own vindictive actions caused the death of his wife and his father-in-law. And this is after giving glory to himself for killing a thousand men with a jawbone, yet another violation of his Nazarite vow, by the way, even though it was the spirit of the Lord who had given him the strength to do so. And this is after he whined about being thirsty and God provided him water. And then he named the spring where the water had come up after himself. After all of this, the Lord still enabled him to escape his enemy. God's patience is demonstrated in Samson's escapades. Brothers and sisters, God is more patient with our sinful foolishness than we will ever know. Because we are more sinful than the Lord will ever allow us to see. When I got married to my wonderful wife, Kristen, I thought I was quite the catch. 
I was still a young man. I had this calling to ministry. I was well-respected amongst my peers. I led worship. I led Bible studies. I led prayer meetings. I helped people in recovery from drugs and alcohol and sex addiction. And I thought that through all of these things, I had become a pretty sanctified guy. And then I moved in with Kristen, bless her saintly soul. And the Lord used her to peel back my outer layer of godliness and reveal how arrogant and selfish and self-seeking and dishonest and fearful and insistent upon my own way that I still was. And then Clementine came along. And then I moved into full-time ministry. And at each point, the Lord revealed more and more of the depths of my sinfulness. And had he revealed it all at once, I may well not have had the strength to face it. And there are still moments when my sinful nature seems like too much to reckon with. Just this morning, I had to repent for my lack of dependence upon the Lord during this sermon preparation. And yet, he still allows me to draw breath. To exercise my giftings, to receive blessings and inherit good things to escape the destruction that my sin deserves. God's patience, his long-suffering, his gentleness in dealing with us makes him worthy of our worship. Worthy of our entire lives being submitted to him as a living sacrifice. In fact, one day the entire universe will praise God for his patience, patience with your sinful escapades with my sinful escapades. And if you are in Christ, he has guaranteed to redeem both you and the consequences of your sin for his glory and your good. If you are not in Christ, he continues to be patient. He continues to provide you life and breath and shelter, and community, and companionship. He continues to beckon you to come to him, to escape the sin and the rebellion that will destroy you. But still, both for the Christian and the non-believer, God's patience is not his approval. God's patience is not his approval. There is a timeless and eternal principle throughout all the scriptures. God will discipline all who are in Christ and he will demonstrate his wrath on all of those who are not. And God will use the sin that we pursue to accomplish both of these purposes. Which brings us to our second story and our second point where God's patience is demonstrated in in Samson's sinful escapades, God's precepts, his law, his righteous standards, God's precepts are confirmed in Samson's capture. Read with me, sorry about that, I thought I was supposed to be muted. (laughs) Read with me, starting in verse four. It says, sometimes later, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah. That word can also mean he had a, a, an appetite for her. He fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Sorek Valley. The Philistine leaders went to her and said, 
persuade Samson to tell you where his great strength comes from so that we can overpower him, tie him up, make him helpless. And each of us will then give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said, no, I'm going to stand by my man, right? So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me, where does your great strength come from? How could someone say, tie you up and make you helpless? Let's stop right here. We can already see that the close call in Gaza that God delivered Samson from has had no real effect on Samson. He's hanging out in Philistine territory, Philistine territory, specifically in a place known for its vineyards. Sorek, the Valley of Sorek, means the Valley of the Choice Vines. This is the Philistine equivalent of Napa Valley. An Israeli Nazarite has precisely no business hanging out there. And he's fallen in love with, he's developed this passionate appetite for a woman of low character. The name Delilah means feeble. It means weak. And historically, she has been seen by the church as a, another Philistine prostitute, but the scriptures aren't specific on that. Ironically, Delilah is the only woman in all of the passages describing Samson's life that is, is actually given a name. It's, and whether her name implies that she personally was weak or that she was the embodiment of Samson's particular weakness, Philistine women, or that she was perhaps the, perhaps the agent through which Samson would be made weak is unclear. But what is clear is that Samson is hanging out in the wrong place with the wrong people for the wrong reasons. Young men, young women, listen to me. Old men, old women, middle-aged men, middle-aged women, this applies to you too. But especially young men and you young women, do not give yourself to the wrong people in wrong places for the wrong reasons. You know what I am talking about. Do not find ways to justify your relationship with that person you know to be wrong or excuse your sinful behavior with others or find reasons to remain in situations where temptation holds sway. In your flesh, you are not strong enough to withstand temptation perpetually. It is why God provides a way out of temptation, not a way to remain in the midst of it. If you hang out in a barbershop long enough, you are going to get a haircut. <laughs> and certainly the scriptures tell us, the scriptures tell us to resist the devil to resist the devil and his schemes, but they also call us to flee from things like sexual immorality. And Samson is the prime example of why we are to flee. He is so given over to his passions, enthralled by his temptations, that he is devoting himself to a woman who is intent upon his destruction. Notice, she immediately accepts the bribe of the Philistine leaders. It's unclear how many leaders offered her the 1,100 silver pieces, but however many it was, they were presenting her a fortune. And she did not hesitate to take it. 
The woman that Samson had intense passion for was committed to betraying him. The Holy Spirit, Scripture, and wisdom must govern your passions. They must govern your passions or you will love people and things that are intent upon destroying you. Now, most of us know how the story in verses 7 through 15 plays out, right? As Dale Ralph Davis, the Bible commentary guy, calls it, uh, they start playing the game, the Philistines are here. So as Delilah snuggles up to Samson and asks him, how did you get so strong and manly? What's your secret? He, you know, flirtatiously messes with her. He feeds her little bits of truth, first tells her to use seven, seven undried bowstrings to bind him, and that will make him weak. Now, remember, bowstrings are made from the sinew or the guts of dead animals, and these are fresh undried bowstrings. So this is a violation of his Nazarite commitments to never touch a dead animal. And this shouldn't be shocking because he's done it over and over throughout the story, but he's taking a small step towards revealing the true secret that he has been consecrated to God and that is what gives him strength. So she binds him, yells that the Philistines are coming and he jumps up and he tears through these bowstrings like a hot knife through butter. Well, she gets all pouty and manipulative. You don't love me because you aren't telling me. So he messes with her again, tells her to bind him with fresh ropes. So she does it, calls out that the Philistines are here. And once again, the ropes do nothing. So she pouts and really pours it on. How can you say you love me when you won't share your deepest secrets with me? All I want is your vulnerability. <laughs> so then he tells her to weave his hair into a loom. Again, messing with her, but getting closer to sharing the actual truth by bringing the discussion of his hair into the game. But the same thing happens when she says the Philistines are here. He pops up and destroys the loom as he does. And as expected, the same thing happens. Delilah leans into the pouty and, and wronged lover routine. And then we read what it says in verse 16. Because she nagged him day after day and pleaded with him until she wore him out, he told her the whole truth. He gave it up and said to her, my hair has never been cut because I am a Nazarite to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak like any other man. When Delilah realized that he had told her the whole truth, she sent the, this message to the Philistine leaders. Come one more time, for he has told me the whole truth. The Philistine leaders came to her and brought the silver with them. And then she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids of his head. In this way, she made him helpless and his strength left him. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he said, I will escape as I did before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he was forced to grind grain in prison. 
Samson had presumed upon the Lord's patience with him. But God's precepts are confirmed in his capture. On top of his violation of God's righteous standards regarding sexual behavior and his standards about becoming like the surrounding cultures, he had time and again violated the no fruit of the vine and the no touching dead bodies component of his vow. But he had never violated the no haircutting component. And he presumed that God's long suffering was limitless and that this last indiscretion would be overlooked as well. He had forgotten that God, though merciful, had a standard of righteousness, that God was holy, that God was just, and that God had established certain terms with him. And in this way, Samson is a type of all of Israel. In Deuteronomy, God told Israel that if they observed the covenant and remained faithful to him, he would remain with them. That they would possess the land and its produce, that they would prosper in all their endeavors, and that they would have peace on all sides. But God also told them that if they failed to observe the covenant, that he would remove his presence and hand of blessing from them that they would be dispossessed of the land, that they would be denied the results of their labors, and that their enemies would triumph over them. So here's Samson, now with his eyes gouged out, the very eyes that he had used to determine what was right for him. His hair cut and his strength depleted is forced to grind grain that he will never eat for the very same Philistines that he had so frequently enmeshed himself with. He is the personal embodiment of all of Israel's failures in the book of Judges. And in a way, he is an embodiment of ours. There is a warning to the Proverbs 31 man that Samson would have benefited from. And we all should heed it says, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women or your ways to those who destroy kings. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or, to, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. This passage is not just talking about illicit sex and booze. It's talking about anything or anyone that leads you away from the path of righteousness. As Pastor Jeff said over the last couple of weeks, there are tons of Proverbs and passages reiterating the truth that is distilled there in, Psalm 30, in, in Proverbs 31. Sinful living is destructive and its consequences will always catch up with you. And God's precepts, his law, his righteous standard will be vindicated, will be confirmed, will be proven to be true, which should give all of us some element of fear. You see, apart from the spirit working within us, we are prone, prone to plunge into the places we ought not go. 
prone to pursue that which we ought not pursue, prone to touch that which is defiling, prone to squander our strength, prone to think that the very thing that is betraying us to destruction is the thing that is worth clinging to. I see this all the time with alcoholics and addicts. Everyone in their life can look at the alcohol or the drug or the porn and say, all of the destruction in your life is directly tied to that sin. That thing is your problem. That particular Delilah is betraying you. And the alcoholic or addict can look you dead in the eye and say, no, this Delilah, this booze, this, these drugs, this sexuality, this shopping, eating, gossiping, whatever, this Delilah is my solution. Sure, I may need to manage her better, but the only problem I have is you thinking that Delilah is my problem. I don't have a problem with drugs or booze or sexual sin. You have a problem with me using drugs or booze or engaging in sexual sin. It is madness. It's madness. It's just like Samson telling the nefarious woman the secret of his strength. It is madness, but we are all prone to it. And in the end, whatever we pursue apart from the Lord, God will in due course abandon us over to it. Romans 1 makes it clear that this is how God has ordered the universe. Whatever we devote ourselves to that is not God or of God, we will eventually be handed over to and it will ruin us no matter how much we love it. But just as God's righteous precepts are confirmed by Samson's capture, God's providence, his gracious and loving direction of the affairs of all creation, God's providence is revealed in Samson's death. Samson is shackled and blind and abandoned by God. He's a slave of his enemies. And still we read in verse 22, but his hair began to grow back after it had been shaved. So many hopeful statements throughout the Bible start with that little word, but. But God. But now. And for Samson, it was, but his hair began to grow back. We read in verse 23 that the Philistine leaders gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to their god, Dagon. They rejoiced and said, our, our god has handed over the enemy Samson to us. When the people saw him, they praised their god and said, our god has handed over to us our enemy who destroyed our land and who multiplied our dead. And here we see the spiritual blindness of the pagan Philistines. They think it was their demon god, Dagon, that had delivered Samson over to them. So they engage in this massive demonic worship service to honor their false god. They even sing psalms of praise to Dagon. Yet verse 20 has made it clear that it was the Lord's removal of his protection over Samson that had caused him to be captured. They are blaspheming the true God in their praise of Dagon and their overcoming of Yahweh's servant. And brothers and sisters, this is a huge part of the tragedy of sin. 
The name of the Lord is blasphemed among the nations because of our sin. But that's another sermon. (laughs) However, we know it was not the power of Dagon. It was the providence of God that delivered Samson over to them. So in verse 25, it says, when they were in good spirits, drunk, when they were in good spirits, they said, bring Samson here to us so that, uh, sorry, bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from prison and he entertained them. They had him stand between the pillars in the temple. Now there's something really interesting to note here. The word entertain in Hebrew, uh, in Hebrew is the word, I'm going to butcher this, but I'm going to try to get it, sachak. Right? And it means to be amused by laughing or, or mo- making a mockery of. But if you pronounce the Hebrew letter shin as sin, sorry, sin as shin, the word sahak becomes shahak, which means to crush. Not to entertain, to crush. Now, this pronunciation variance thing has already come up in Judges. If you remember the Sibboleth Shibboleth event in Judges chapter 12 that Ryan preached on. So, read in one way, the Philistines are calling for Samson to entertain or amuse them. And read in another way, they are calling for him to come crush them. Embedded in the very word use of this scripture is a nod to God's providence. The author is reinforcing that the Philistines in thinking that they will make a mockery of Yahweh through his champion Samson, are actually calling out for their own destruction. And God gives them over to it. In verse 26, it says, Samson said to the young man who was leading him by the hand, lead me where I can feel the pillars supporting the temple so I can lean against them. The temple was full of men and women. All the leaders of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof watching Samson entertain them. And he called out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me, God, just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. And so Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple and he leaned against them, one on his right hand, and one on his left. And then he pushed. And sorry, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it. And those he killed at his death were more than those he had killed in his life. Then his brothers and his father's whole family came down, carried him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of his father Manoah. And so he judged Israel 20 years. We see in this God's sovereign providence in two main ways. First, we see that Samson, having been delivered over by the hand of God to his enemies, to the, sorry, by the hand of God to the enemies of God, is given the opportunity to fulfill his calling to be the deliverer of Israel. God had called Samson to be a deliverer, and at every turn he had chosen selfish pride and indulgence. And yet here we see that God was faithful to accomplish through Samson all that he had destined him for. 
bound and blinded in a state of humiliation, Samson is brought into the inner sanctum of the pagan Philistines who no longer consider him a threat, thinking that their demon God has triumphed utterly. In their drunken carousing, they neglect to take any precautions regarding Samson. After killing a thousand, he is guarded by a single young man. After tearing important people limb from limb, he is given proximity to the Philistine elites. After ripping out the defensive measures of the city of Gaza, he is allowed to place his hands on the structural architecture of the temple of Dagon. And the Philistines reap the harvest of their blasphemous foolishness as the sanctuary of their demon god becomes the means of their destruction. And Samson fulfills his role, fulfills his calling at last. And in his death, he delivers his people from their oppressors. But there's a second way that we see God's providence. God brought Samson low in order to deliver him from his own selfishness and pride. God allowed his servant to be humiliated so that Samson would finally call out to God in faith. Throughout his story, Samson never calls upon the Lord to give him strength. He never uses his strength to accomplish his God-assigned ministry. He only ever makes entitled demands of God and takes the glory for every accomplishment. Yet here, Though it is still touched by selfish motives of revenge, Samson calls out to God like the thief on the cross. Remember me, God. Give me strength one more time so that I may do what you have set me apart to do. And then he did it. He gave his life in the power of and in obedience to God. Where the spirit of lust had weakened him and delivered him over to his enemies, the spirit of God empowered him and delivered his enemies over to him. Samson is a hero for this. This humble dependence upon and obedience to God, though it cost him his life. Brothers and sisters, no matter how given over to your sin you may be, in this age of grace, it is not too late to repent of your sin and return to the Lord. His mercies are new every morning. It is not too late to call out in faith, though your sin may have taken you places you never wished to go and kept you there longer than you ever thought possible. It's not too late to abandon your foolishness and turn to the Lord. God's merciful providence is revealed even in Samson's death. So as we conclude the Samson story, what do we do with him? He led a pretty despicable life, yet he's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, alongside some other very questionable characters. We can't really look up to him in his life, though we can find redemption in what he did in his final moments. And certainly he serves to warn us of foolish living, of the dangers of being a slave to lust and pride. But he is more than just a morality tale. 
we look to him as a, as a type. Patrick talked about him as, the, as a type of Israel. Jeff talked about him as a type of the fool in Proverbs. But Samson is also a type of Christ. He is a foreshadowing. He's a signpost providing new information to us about Jesus. Like Christ, his birth is prophesied by a supernatural being. Like Christ, his ministry is one of deliverance. Like Christ, he was consecrated unto the Lord. Like Christ, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Like Christ, he was despised and delivered over by his own people. Like Christ, he was betrayed by someone close to him for silver. And like Christ, he was horrifically marred and mocked by his enemies before his death. And like Christ, his death with outstretched arms brought about the destruction of his enemies, though his enemies thought they were triumphing over him. But we see that Samson still needed to be delivered from the power of sin. Though he was a strong man physically, he was as much a spiritual weakling as any of us. Were we to put our hope in someone like Samson, we would only ever be disappointed. But brothers and sisters, Christ is our true and better Samson. Where Samson continually violated his vows to God, Christ obeys God in all things, keeping the covenant perfectly. Where Samson used his position and power to pursue his selfish lusts, Christ uses his power and authority to accomplish the will of his father. Where Samson exploited women for sexual gratification and men for status, Christ abstains from lustful self-indulgence and he treats all manner of people honorably. Where Samson took revenge on all perceived slights, Christ shows mercy to those who wronged him, even asking for forgiveness for those who executed him. And where Samson ripped down the gates of the enemy city to escape his own foolish consequences, Christ tears down the gates of hell and opens the gates of heaven for all who believe. And where Samson delivered his people for a time from the oppression of the Philistines, Christ delivers his people fully and finally from the oppression of sin and death. And we can put our hope in Christ and find him strong enough to bear our sin and our shame and our weakness and our dysfunction and our judgment for it all. We can put our hope in Christ and find him faithful to deliver us from our enemies time and time again. We can put our hope in Christ and find him trustworthy with our lives and worthy of our unmitigated praises. Come to him this morning and discover that Christ is no flawed hero. He's more wonderful than you could hope him to be. He's more patient than you could imagine him to be. And he's more willing to rescue you than you are even willing to be rescued. Come to Christ this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the life of your servant, Samson, that provides for us such a, a bleak picture of a life of pursuing sin 
and yet such a bright hope. Bright hope at the end to call out in faith and to be uh, reconciled to you. Lord, we pray for those who are here who don't know you, who have never called out in hope, called out in faith, thrown themselves upon your grace. We pray that they would now, in this moment, even call out to Christ for salvation and that they would find you a loving, gracious, merciful, patient Savior. And Lord, we pray for those of us who who know you, who have been, we've tasted of your goodness and yet we've fallen into these traps of habitual sin. We've, we feel trapped in what we're doing. We pray, Lord, that you would anoint people with the power of your Holy Spirit to, to break the shackles of, the, of their bondage. We pray that they would be given the, the humility to confess their sin and find that you are faithful and just to forgive them of their sin and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And we pray, God, that in this last time of worship that our hearts would be thrilled and delighted in the person and the work of Jesus. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen.